Welcome, friends. James Corbett here. It is the 5th of May, 2014, and we are talking today to our old favorite guest, someone that probably needs no introduction to our regular listeners. He is, of course, a contributor to the Asia Times Online, as well as many other websites besides, and a frequent contributor to BoilingFrogsPost.com. I'm referring to the one, the only, the Asian sensation, the Latino Lothario, <laughs> Mr. Pepe Escobar. Pepe, thank you so much for taking the time. Man, after this introduction, I don't have to say anything. <laughs> Thanks, I think so. It's a pleasure being with you. <laughs> okay, great. Well, it is great to have you here. Always great to pick your uh, brain on geopolitical matters, because I know that you are there on the ground uh, in Hong Kong, but you also, of course, uh, cover the region generally and all over the world. So it's great to get your thoughts on the latest developments in regards to China's Xinjiang terror problem with the East Turkestan Islamic movement and what seems to be, at least from my perspective, an increasing frequency of terror attacks happening in China. Perhaps you can set the, the scene for us, what kind of attacks are happening, um, what the latest on the ground is, and uh, what, what the East Turkestan Islamic movement is really trying to achieve. Well, basically, it's a radicalization process of young Uyghurs. It's something that happened with a lot of young Tibetans as well. But the Tibetans, they didn't go as hardcore as the young Uyghurs are going at the moment. So these attacks with knives, and don't forget that uh, for Uyghurs, uh, a knife is like part of their body. It's just like a horse for a Mongol. So if they not... Uh, if they cannot have access to heavy weapons, because Xinjiang is heavily policed, there are, I would say, maybe half a million PLA troops scattered all over Xinjiang. They use their homemade knives. The problem is there's no uh, political uh, process uh, uh, logic behind all this. They, are, they feel that they are being, which is, uh, I would say, 90% true, they are being invaded, decimated, and there's a sort of slow motion cultural genocide of the Uyghurs all over Xinjiang. And not only in those uh, uh, Silk Road, Northern Silk Road, Southern Silk Road routes in the desert, uh, around the Taklamakan Desert, in the big cities as well. In Kashgar, where the Chinese have a very controversial uh, a project to raise the old Kashgar, uh, old downtown Kashgar, which is amazing. It's, it's one of the most extraordinary places all over Eurasia, where they have that famous uh, Sunday market, where you have uh, uh, not only Uyghurs, but Tajiks, uh, Kyrgyz, Ka Kazakhs, people from all over the region, from the Hindu Kush, from the Pamirs, from the Tian Shan Mountains, you name it. They go there to sell their wares. Um, it is, uh, uh, Uyghurs, of course, it is a heavily Muslim population, but it, it's not uh, a Wahhabi-style Islam at all. They are relatively tolerant compared to the Wahhabis, for instance. There is not a heavy uh, infiltration of uh, Wahhabi-style missionaries in that region. It is an uh, economic, political, and cultural problem which the Chinese don't know how to solve. First of all, because they consider the Uyghurs, uh, let's put it bluntly, an inferior race. So they should be ruled by the Han Chinese, and they should be incorporated into this great uh, Western migration and development project in China. And it's, it's under this uh, 
uh, logic, in fact, that President Xi Jinping went to, to Xinjiang a few days ago for a visit, which is uh, it's enormous in Chinese standards. It, it's usually, visits is usually one day, a few hours. So four days in Xinjiang, it's very important. Uh, and after, at the end of his trip, there was this, um, uh, let's put it, terrorist attack or disturbance or riot, uh, whatever you want to call it, at Urumqi's railway station, uh, which is a very significant point because the most of the migration from eastern provinces in China, central provinces, these people, their first sight of Xinjiang is when they arrive at Urumqi's railway station. It's one of the most extraordinary places as well all over Asia, because you see people from all over China arriving in Rurunchi to start a new life. Because they're Han Chinese, they have, uh, you know, maybe the promise of a job, uh, they have no problems uh, dealing with the local authorities, uh, they can settle down easily, they have discounts on everything, uh, they can start a, a, a new enterprise or a, a new ve capitalist venture virtually tomorrow. For the young Uyghurs, forget it. No chance. First of all, most of them are not bilingual. They speak only Uyghur. Very few speak uh, Mandarin Chinese. Uh, they are blocked from uh, the best jobs because they are Uyghurs. So there is this cultural conflict and also, of course, the religious conflict because they're Muslims. So for the average Chinese, they are potential terrorists. And, of course, they know that... Uh, Xinjiang is the last frontier of the Chinese miracle. And people from, a, you know, neighboring provinces, a Gansu province from Sichuan, which is not very far away, they are going there to start a new life. And Deng Xiaoping style, soon they're going to be rich because they have the right connections, the right Guanxi China, China style. And the Uyghurs, they don't. So what are the young people doing? They are resorting to these desperate attacks, knife attacks in Kuming. These were Uyghurs that had emigrated to southern China, Yunnan province in Kuming. This attack at the Rumchi um, railway station. And what are the Chinese going to do about that? Facts on the ground. They are about to approve a new anti-terrorist law. It's probably going to be approved next month in June. And Xi Jinping's trip was a sort of a preparing the terrain for this anti-terrorist law. So it's a kind of a mini patriot act, a Chinese style, but against you Uyghurs, basically. The Tibetans are even a distant preoccupation. It's against Islamic terrorism, the way the Chinese leadership is framing it. And who are the key targets? The Uyghurs. So we don't, we don't see a resolution of this problem anytime soon. Uh, there's an enormous problem of uh, Western infiltration. Uh, we, we cannot talk about Western infiltration in, Xing, in Xinjiang because nobody infiltrates Xinjiang. It's one of the most policed, <laughs> although it's a huge area, almost the size of Western Europe, it's heavily policed by the Chinese. Every foreigner that gets there, even uh, foreigners like ourselves, uh, not American citizens, you name it, you are closely monitored everywhere. You, can, you cannot even talk openly with Uyghur people. If you're traveling around the Silk Road and staying in small villages, the, the local informers are going to report to the local uh, uh, Politburo, let's put it this way. Oh, this foreigner was there in the Hotan market talking to silk weavers, you name. So, you know, 
you cannot get away with it. So uh, the the idea of a CIA officers instilling some sort of rebellion in Xinjiang is bullshit. It's not happening, and it's not going to happen. But the Chinese are desperate because they would like to uh, turn Xinjiang into a sort of Disneyland, an ethnic Disneyland where people with curious customs. Uh, they are all very well integrated among our 50-something minorities. But it's not true. In fact, uh, in Urumqi itself, it's crazy. One of the uh, neighborhoods in Urumqi, they turn it into a sort of mini Uyghur theme park. You go there, you find uh, Uyghur businesses, you find a replica of a yurt, uh, you know, you eat Uyghur food and all that, but all in a very Singapore, Disneyland kind of way, you know. And when you get to Kashgar, which is the big Uyghur city, almost at the border with Central Asia, in fact, they are destroying the city. In fact, the new Kashgar is like a generic Chinese city. And the old Kashgar, they went to raise it to the ground, just like what they did in front of the Potala Palace in, in Plaza, in Tibet, and built another mini replica of a Chinese, a generic city, and expelled the local inhabitants to some sort of, a, uh, I don't know, development project in the suburbs, you know, to live in four-by-four four cement flats. Is this solving the situation in Xinjiang? In my view, it's going to make things even worse. So we could expect repeated attacks by this uh, small, disgruntled, but very aggressive young Uyghur minority who say, look, we have at least tried to call attention to our plight. Well, you paint a very vivid picture there of what of the situation on the ground, including the interesting part of that, I think, is the idea that the CIA, I mean, couldn't get within 100 miles of it because of the, uh, the, 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 the network of informants on the ground. That's important because I think that plays into the fact that these do seem like genuine terrorist attacks. These are little knife knifings and things that are happening rather than big Al-Qaeda-style explosive events. So I think that's reflective of that. But Having said that, we have the World Uyghur Congress based in Germany. We have the government in exile, whose representative is in the United States. I mean, it's pretty obvious that there is at least the attempt to portray uh, to propagandistically what's going on in in, uh, in in Xinjiang for certain purposes. And you do talk about the the New Silk Road, which is of course China's. Um, extremely important outlet to the uh, the Central Asia region, which is even increasing in importance as we go forward from here. Um, what what is the situation between Beijing and Washington over this issue? Well, <laughs> Xinjiang doesn't even figure in uh, Washington's uh, pivoting to Asia. They don't even know how to deal with Xinjiang. First of all, very few American officers or uh, officials from the U.S. government have ever been to Xinjiang. They don't even understand the local complexities. You know, there, are, uh, there is no State Department policy vis-à-vis -vis Xinjiang like you have vis-à-vis -vis Tibet. Uh, the Xinjiang leaders, they are very obscure or opaque or invisible, uh, apart from Rebia Kadir. She's in Washington most of the time. She, you know, she lobbies Congress uh, on a regular basis. She has books published in English, some of them almost becoming bestsellers, but it's not enough. 
you know, uh, and the Americans, they know that if they try anything in Xinjiang, this is going to, you know, poking the bear in Ukraine is one thing, but poking the dragon in the Western borderlands is a completely different story. Beijing would react in a very forceful manner. Because as you said, uh, the key for the, the multiple silk roads that China is trying to open up in Central Asia, all the way to Germany, uh, across Central Asia and across Southeast Asia. The key is what transits through Xinjiang as well. So in terms of pipelines, obviously, for instance, the pipeline from Turkmenistan arising in Xinjiang. Uh, Xinjiang distributes gas to the eastern provinces. Then uh, railways. Uh, they are building extra railways to uh, uh, Xinjiang. There's basically what? Uh, um, the main railway that arrives in Urumqi from the east. Uh, then there's a bifurcation to the Kyrgyz border, another one to the Kazakh border, and that's it. So they're building more uh, railways uh, around towns in Xinjiang. They opened another one a few days ago, in fact. It was empty. <laughs> the Uyghurs didn't even use it. You know, they go by donkey, by horse, you know, by bus, but they didn't even use the railway. Uh, so, uh, in terms of uh, facilitating uh, trade, commerce, and of course, they want to build more highways as well, connecting to the Kyrgyz border and to the Kazakh border as well. The border with Afghanistan is impossible. It's been closed, like, as far as I remember, forever. This past 20 years, at least, even more. So you cannot cross from uh, Afghanistan to China and vice versa. One of the reasons is because they're afraid of uh, Islamic terrorism. What else? And then there's the connection that, through the Karakoram Highway to Pakistan, which, if everything goes according to Chinese long-term plans, the Karakoram Highway soon, soon in Chinese terms is 10 years, 15 years. There's going to be a pipeline as well, parallel to it, from Guada in the Indian Ocean to Xinjiang arriving parallel to the Karakoram Highway. All this is part of the multiple Silk Roads. So to have all these flows of trade, commerce, pipelines, uh, uh, railways, fiber optic cables, you name it, you need a pacified Western borderland. If they don't uh, insert the Uyghurs in this uh, development process, and uh, President Xi Jinping, he was very clever a few days ago. He says, he said textually, uh, Uyghurs should learn Mandarin Chinese, and uh, the Han people should collaborate with uh, our uh, Uyghur brothers as well. So he's trying, at least rhetorically, to approximate the Hans and the Uyghurs. If this is going to work in long term, it depends on how local authorities in Xinjiang are going to conduct that. Uh, I don't place too much too much trust on these people, especially because some of them they're not even, they don't even come from Beijing. They come from surrounding provinces, and these are Han Chinese who live in surrounding provinces, but they have no clue about uh, Xinjiang, about uh, um, Uyghur style of life, about religion, about Islam. Same about uh, uh, not uh, uh, non-Beijing officials who are sent to Tibet with no knowledge of Tibetan culture, Tibetan history, etc. So, you know, it's as much as a political problem, as I said before, as it is a cultural problem. 
given, uh, given Xinjiang's uh, central importance then and, and strategic importance for Beijing, I mean, that does raise the possibility or at least the, the question about the attribution of these attacks. I mean, for example, the Kunming attack, as far as, I'm uh, as, far as I understand, was blamed on the ETIM, the East Turkestan Islamic Movement, literally because of flags that were discovered at the scene. I mean, are we talking about the possibility that uh, Beijing is planting evidence or, 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 in other words, trying to create an East Turkestan Islamic Movement that might not exist? Or is this, is this attribution? Uh, we don't have enough information to say anything about that, James. It would be pure speculation. Uh, no, the thing is, every, whenever something happened that involves a Uyghur, they immediately blame Uyghur uh, terrorism without even specifying uh, this group, such group, another group, and all that. Uh, it's uh, an overall umbrella of, Isla in fact, Islamic terrorism from Xinjiang. So this would be, like we said before, the target of this new anti-terrorist law. We still don't know the. we should discuss this after we have the final text of the anti-terrorism law, of course. If, it's, if it discriminates specifically against uh, Uyghur-based uh, groups in Xinjiang itself. But what they need in the long term is to incorporate the Uyghur population inside the miracle. So if they did that with the eastern provinces, if they're doing that with uh, people in Sichuan, in the center province, or even Gansu province, which is in the middle of a... There's nothing in Gansu except a desert and a railway crossing the desert. But these people, if they go to Xinjiang or they go to Tibet, because they're Han Chinese, they have the possibility of a better future. If you are a, a Uyghur born in Xinjiang and live there forever, there's... You know, your avenues of success are extremely limited. So, in fact, you try to immigrate. You could go to Kazakhstan, for instance. You could go to, try to go to Europe, in fact. There is a small Uyghur diaspora, especially in Germany as well. So, I, I, I don't see a solution in short term for, for this problem. The only thing that Beijing is thinking is we need to keep Xinjiang together because it's absolutely essential in our new Silk Road project. That's it. That's where it ends. Anybody attacks us from Xinjiang, they're terrorists. All right. Okay, well, then finally, before you go, I'd be remiss in my duties if I didn't ask to pick your brain about uh, a tangential subject, but perhaps one that relates, talking about Putin's visit to uh, Beijing later this month and the possibility of the signing of the gas deal between uh, China and Russia. Is this going to happen? What's the inside scoop? Yes. Look, I prefer to talk to you, James, after the visit. But yes, you'll go on May 20th. Yes, uh, the, the chief of uh, Gazprom, Alexei Miller, and the head of the CNPC, China National Petroleum Corporation, they have been meeting practically on a weekly basis. They are discussing pricing, of course, because this was the, the last problem. In this. This, this thing has been going on for, for years, in fact. There's every possibility that the deal will be signed. It will be payable probably in ruble and yuan bypassing the dollar. And this is how I see the thermonuclear option because it's the, we are crossing, it, it, it's the crossroads of pipeline is done, the strategic relationship between uh, Russia and China, and bypassing the petrodollar in energy uh, trade. This is beyond thermonuclear, the consequences in the long term. But I prefer to expand after they sign the deal. <laughs> I, that would make more sense. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back on to talk about that as it develops. Uh, Pepe Escobar, always just a wealth of information. Of course, uh, your roving uh, 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 roving eye, uh, our blog will be linked up in the show notes and we will be talking to you again in the future. So Pepe, thank you again for your time today.
Thanks, James. Keep it up. You rule.